Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. That's a very, very good comparison to have. I know y'all can multitask, so it's time to multitask. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. We're coming to you from the South Street Seaport, Lower Manhattan Pier 17. J. will be back soon enough. He's on paternity leave. He just had his second child. His first son, Chris Canty, is in the house. I can get you that one every time. Every right? single it's time. Funny, though. Every time. Because I can imagine Jay milking it, though, all the way to the end. He going to milk it. He going to take it all. If we let him, I'm going to stay on his head because I'm not going to let him milk it. He, he'll be back with us sooner. Hopefully by the end of the week he will be here. And once again, for the first time in a long time, it actually will be Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin with Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin. So a minute. Yes, it's been a minute indeed. So I talked about multitasking. If you want to listen to the show right now, we appreciate you being here or watching on television. At this very moment, you can pick up your phone or get on your laptop and download Mel Kuyper Jr.'s most recent mock draft. It's available right now on ESPN+. And if I can just give a shout-out, ESPN+, Plus just celebrated its third birthday Yesterday, it's one of those streaming services. Most streaming services just offer video. Yeah. ESPN Plus offers a lot of video, 30 for 30 games, all that sort of stuff. But it also offers a lot of good written content mm-hmm. from the top writers in the business. So if you're thinking about getting ESPN Plus, that's the only place where you can get the full Mel Kuyper Jr. mock draft. There's a lot of great stuff in there. Let's run through a couple of things that Mel has. And again, Mel's going to be here in about 45 minutes from now to talk about it. And then we're going to key in on Canty's old team because they're in a very interesting spot. No surprise at the top, right? One, two, three. He's got Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. And after the 49ers made that massive move, he's assuming they're going to take Mac Jones like many people are. The old discussion of the draft starting at four with the Falcons. Hang on a second. Mel's got Three trades in the top ten. Let's just run through all three of them real quick. Let's just get your quick thoughts, and then we'll go right to a giant move at number 11. At number four, it was going to be Atlanta. As you know, Mel is projecting a swap with the Miami Dolphins, and at four, the Dolphins would take Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, keeping him in the Sunshine State. I think that's a good good pick for Miami. Um, however they get there, they need some weapons to go along with Tua, a big tight end who could deploy him from the line of scrimmage or detach him from the line of scrimmage. He could play in line if you need him to. He could be in the slot if you need him to. He could play outside and match up in a mismatch on cornerbacks because of his size, his frame, his athletic ability. I think it's a little high for me to take a tight end, but I'm not doing the drafting. Brian Flores and, and Greer are doing that drafting, but he is a special talent. Um, I just think four is a little high for me. Key, just out of curiosity, if you wanted a weapon for Tua, w- would you lean toward Jamar Chase over Kyle Pitts? If you were the general manager, if you're Chris Greer in that situation, if you are going to move up into the top five? While Key ponders, I will tell you that Mel's got Jamar Chase at seven to Detroit, so he's got him as a top ten talent. I Am I, am I happy with my receiving core already, though? Mm-hmm. Do I like – Parker and do I like what I have down in Miami? Am I satisfied with that? And I'm probably satisfied with that, so I would probably lean toward Kyle Pitts. But I four four is a little high, but it just depends on who is behind me that would take him that needs him. Mm-hmm. And and look, you you it's just high. Yeah, I mean I it's just high at four. I, would I mean agree with that. when you start. When you start picking in them top fives and them sixes, you want a major, major. I'm talking about like day one difference maker changing of the guard. 
That's what you want. Well, I think it speaks to a conversation we had a little bit yesterday, Key, when we start talking about the premium positions in the NFL, right? Yes, Tight absolutely. end is not a premium position. You're talking about quarterback, pass rusher, offensive lineman, cornerback. Then you get into the discussion with wide receivers. Tight end is on down the line. Now, I know a lot of draft pundits will make the argument that Kyle Pitts is not just a typical tight end. He's a weapon. He's probably one of the top receivers in this draft if you were grading out the wide receiver position. But I just look at it from from the standpoint of I just I don't know, man. With the tight end taking him that high in the draft, it's 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 a little bit of a risky proposition, especially knowing some of the other players that will be on the board that are of positions of need for the Miami Dolphins. I just look at some of the tight ends in recent history that fall into the Kyle Pitts mold. Mm-hmm. No offense. T.J. Hawkinson. No, no offense. Doesn't really. Well, yeah, he, yeah. In terms of yeah. being drafted high. Yeah, in terms they, of being but, drafted but high. But they were lower. They are lower first rounders. I'm talking about guys that have been in the league for a while that had such major Hall of Fame type success. Whether it's an Antonio Gates that was found basically and created a Hall of Fame legacy for himself, or whether it was. Uh, uh, Tony Gonzalez, who's a Hall of Fame, but down the line, or even a Greg Olson down the line, or even as you look at Jimmy Graham down the line, or you look at Gronkowski in the second round. I mean, it's like you can find that position mm-hmm. and work wonders. Look at look at um, Kelsey or look at Kettles. I mean, it's just like, am I reaching too high for that? Am I reaching too high for that? Interesting. All right, real quick. At six, Atlanta with the swap from Miami, according to Mel, would take Trey Lance. That's our quarterback of the future. And at 10, he's got the Pats moving up, swapping with Dallas and taking Justin Fields. So that's where he's got the QBs going again. Mel will join us here Oh, in about 40 minutes from now, 39 minutes from now. Okay, so just outside of the top 10. Here's the money question this morning to you, Chris, your old team. The Giants. Mel has the Giants taking Jalen Waddle, the wide receiver from Alabama. What do you think about it? And what do you think the Giants should do? Well, here's the thing. My feelings about it are in a reflection of the player because I think Jalen Waddle is going to be a good NFL player. But I just feel like the Giants can go other directions with this 11th overall pick. I I mean, they could use some help on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in their secondary at the cornerback spot, and they could also use some help up front with the offensive line. They went wide receiver in a big way in free agency with signing Kenny Galladay and paying him a huge money. I think it was a four-year, $72 million contract. So I think you have enough weapons for Daniel Jones to work with when you added him to a core that already has Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram. I think what the Giants should focus on is making sure that you have everything in place for Daniel Jones, and that includes making sure the five offensive linemen up front do a good job of keeping your quarterback clean and keeping them upright. In pass protection, in straight drop-back situations, the Giants' offensive line was amongst the worst in the National Football League last year. So for a quarterback that's already proven that he's turnover-prone and had some injury issues in the second half of last season, you would think that if there's an offensive lineman that the Giants have graded highly, that would be the direction that they go in because everything for the 2021 season is set up for Daniel Jones to answer the question of whether or not He's their franchise guy moving forward. The Giants are going to have to make that determination in this season. I just think that they should have all the pieces in place in order to do so. The, the, the offensive line is going to be very important to the Giants. If you think about it, they went out and spent money on receivers. They got receivers. 
the book is still somewhat on Ingram out there. People kind of, you know, lukewarm on him about what he is because he's been inconsistent. And if you get a healthy uh, Saquon Barkley back, huge, huge, you've got to sure up the offensive line, not only for Saquon Barkley, but for Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones on his back can't help you. Daniel Jones upright with a nice, clean pocket can deliver the football to the playmakers. Uh, And I think that is where the Giants need to spend most of their time in studying and trying to figure out at that 11 spot who's the right guy, whether it's a guard or tackle or center or whatever, to shore up that offensive line because they certainly need help there. Also keep in mind this, Key, they moved on from Kevin Zeitler. He ended up being a cap casualty, and you can make an argument that that was their best offensive lineman last year. So, I mean, that Giants, I know Dave Gettleman has put a lot of resources in the way of draft capital and, and salary cap dollars into that group, but it still hasn't it still hasn't come around. He still hadn't gotten the return on the investment. So, to me, you keep going to the well. You keep using draft capital to try to make that group better because you're not going to be able to have a true evaluation on the quarterback unless you fix that offensive how, line. How many, and, I, and I'm just asking you this because you're a Giant guy, how many receivers – have the Giants taken since they got rid of or signed since they got rid of OBJ? I mean, they 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 shot their like they, they shot they, their shot right, now. Every yeah, year, they gold, like they, Golden Tate, Golden Tate, yep. Shepard is there. Yep. Uh, who else? The young, the the tall Slate, Slayton, yeah, uh, Slayton, and then they just got Kenny Galladay. Yep. So they they they've gone through They're four or five. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you had the guy, man. What? I understand you know, like his attitude, but you did have a guy that could have helped your young quarterback. You did have a guy. You did have a guy. Make a break for that young quarterback this year. What do you say? Oh, yeah, that's right. They signed John Ross from Cincinnati, too. Speedster. Yep, former Washington Husky. What's on the line here? If Let's say it is Jalen Waddell and you get your quarterback, badly needed weapon. You got him some protection the year before with Andrew Thomas. As Key said, you'll have Saquon back, hopefully healthy. I mean, year three for Daniel Jones. We, we have to play fill in the blank here. Fill in the blank. Year three for Daniel Jones and the Giants is? I mean, year three is going to have to be a year where they make that step. We're talking about them being in position to compete, to get into the playoffs in week 17 and hopefully being able to break through. It came close last year in historically bad NFC East. Mm -hmm. But I think for Daniel Jones, this is a prove-it year. I I think if I were to have to qualify it, if I were to put a a word to it, I would say a prove-it type of year for him. He's got to go out and show that he's capable of being the guy. And the Giants have the flexibility because he's on a rookie contract to put all these pieces around him. Daniel Jones is going to have to show that he's capable of taking advantage of that because eventually you got to get to the point where you're paying him, deciding whether or not you're going to exercise his fifth-year option. You need to know whether or not he's capable of making people around him better. Indeed. Keyshawn J. Will Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance. What's my name? Keyshawn. He said Keyshawn. Keyshawn, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Speaking of Minnesota, the Vikings pick 14th in the NFL draft. We're headed back to the land of 10,000 lakes, but this has nothing to do with football. You know, when the eyes of the country, and in some cases the eyes of the world, are in one place, there's no better perspective than to get somebody whose boots are on the ground in that 
particular place. Myron Medcalf, to many of you, is a guy that you may know that writes brilliantly about college basketball for ESPN. But more importantly, he is a native Minnesotan, and he joins us this morning on the Goodyear Hotline from the state of Minnesota. So, Myron, you know, uh, us three are sitting here in New York City, and we're watching things like the majority of Americans are on cable news or on broadcast news. We're not there. Help us understand what it's like there in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, and in Minneapolis today. Uh, It's painful, you know. I mean, I think a lot of people have already tried to sort of process what was happening in the Derek uh, Chauvin trial and everything that happened to George Floyd. And there was almost a sense that that we might finally have some closure in that with the verdict coming here maybe as early as next week. And then this happens, and it just feels overwhelming more than anything. I mean, people are upset. I mean, they have every right to be upset. And you're just sitting there going, how can this happen again? You know, in the middle of the trial, it just feels unfair and it just feels heavy. And I think the whole community feels that. Let me ask you this, uh, Mine. Do do you feel safe as a black man? No, no, I don't. I mean, and I, you know, I I wrote that. I do a a column for the local newspaper here. um, And and I said that because, you know, when it happens so often, Philando Castile, where he died, was about a mile away from my first apartment here in the Twin Cities. You get George Floyd. Now you see Dante Wright. So there is a sense, certainly, among uh, my African-American friends here in the Twin Cities that uh, we're vulnerable. And a lot of people who don't experience that, you know, if you're not black, they don't necessarily understand that. But when you see the Dante Wright situation and how these mistakes, if that's a mistake, continue to affect us and how George Floyd dies and how Philando dies, I definitely don't feel safe, and I don't think a lot of people who look like me feel safe in Minnesota. What, why is this happening in Minnesota the way that it is? Why? I think we're all trying to figure that out. But but I will say that there's a history here of uh, people understanding that racism exists, but they don't talk about it. You know, Minnesota doesn't have the history that other parts of the country have when it comes to race relations. So a lot of people here think they've moved past it. They think they're above it. And then something like this happens, and they're reminded that, nope, we're just like everybody else. So I think I think a lot of it is about confronting the issues in front of us and, and how people view African-Americans here. And I just think too often in these situations, black men and black women are viewed as threats, and they're dealt with as threats. And I think that's why it continues to happen. But the bottom line is it has to stop happening. But this is just too much, uh, and it can't continue to happen. Myron, last night the Twins, the Timberwolves, and the Wild all postponed the games that they had scheduled to play. What role are the, the professional sports teams playing in helping the community process what's happened in the last calendar year? Well, I think right now, like everybody, they're, they're in shock. But I think if you looked at what happened with George Floyd, Carl Anthony Towns, and the Minnesota Lynx, and so many athletes locally, played a big role in that. And they weren't just tweeting about these issues. They were on the ground. They were in the street. They were demonstrating. They were protesting. So, I think you'll see that going forward as well. And I think you will see a lot of local athletes uh, play a vital role as this community tries to move forward. But i got to be honest, I don't know what moving forward means. Next week, we're going to get the verdict from the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, And then from there, there are going to be three more trials potentially for the other officers who are involved. And then after that, we have to process what happens next with Dante Wright and this officer. So I don't think it ever ends, and I think the local athletes are going to be a constant part of this ongoing dialogue. 
Let me, let me ask you this, and I, w- I want you to correct me or help me understand, because I spent some time in and around Minnesota, not only doing my playing career, but also now. And it seems like a very, you know how there's certain towns, cities, states that is very kind of like biracial. There's, uh, there's, there's biracial relationships. And being in Minnesota, it seems like it, it's that way. And so when I look at it from that standpoint, you would think that there's a much better understanding within that community. Am I am I wrong there? No, I think it's definitely diverse, and I think you definitely have uh, a, a lot of people, friendships, relationships, different backgrounds. But I also think that's the challenge. You know, again, this is a place I think that prides itself on – not being the South. We ain't Mississippi. We're not Alabama. We don't have that history. Yes. But I think when you decided that you're above that, you get arrogant and you think that you're something that you're really not. I remember traveling to Mississippi with my family as a kid. And my uncle would talk about race and say, hey, don't go over to that neighborhood. White people live over there. I mean, that's what they told us. This wasn't in 1970s. This was in the 90s because that's how they talked about race in those places up here. You don't have that. People don't speak on it. And then things like this happen and they act surprised because they don't want to believe that it can happen here. But the problem is not only is it happening here, it's happening here more often than anywhere else. And that's a major problem. Myron Medcalf, ESPN College basketball reporter, ESPN radio host, and most importantly in this conversation, Minnesota native coming to us this morning from Minnesota on the Goodyear Hotline. Myron, I want to ask you this last thing. This is something that was brought up yesterday, and it didn't get a lot of attention because obviously the aftermath of what happened to Mr. Wright, as you mentioned, uh, possibly a verdict coming here in the Chauvin trial as early as uh, next week as the prosecution starts to wrap up their case. Chauvin's attorney, a guy by the name of Eric Nelson, and I'm, I'm sure you know this, but just for people that maybe aren't following it as close, um, uh, defense attorney Nelson asked for the jury in the Chauvin trial yesterday to be sequestered. And the reason he asked for it is because he said if the jury saw some of the reaction that's happening from the community after what happened to Mr. Wright, that they might be afraid about what would happen in the community if Chauvin was acquitted or convicted on a lesser charge, as if to say a powder keg would be ready to explode. What is the sentiment there with regards to that? And I should mention that the judge denied that request for uh, sequestering the jury. But he brought that up thinking there could be some huge violence ready to happen if the verdict does not go the way many people think it should. How is that, the specter of that, playing out with all of this? A lot of people have talked about that that I know. And I think there is a sense of uh, this is the worst possible timing for all these things to come together. But I think there's disagreement about this idea of, of a powder keg. It's not a powder keg. It's on fire. I can see the smoke, you know? So it's not like this thing lit a fuse. That fuse was lit years ago. So I don't think anyone agrees with that idea. Whatever happens next week, you know, if there are emotions around that, it's not going to be because of one thing. It's that we're still carrying the emotions of Philander. We're not over that. We're not over George Floyd. And now we got to deal with this. So I think this city, it's just dealing with these tragedies piling on top of one another, regardless of what happened next week. It feels like this is just the state of being black in Minnesota. In the state of Minnesota, indeed. You're right. Nobody should have to deal with this once, much less twice, and one happening while the world is watching a case similar 
to it. It's just unbelievable. We'll wait to see what happens as early as next week. And then a reminder next month, think about how much time has elapsed next month on Memorial Day will be one year since the knee went on the neck. And as Myron said, the three other officers will be on trial for aiding and abetting. So even if there is some sort of closure, it's not coming anytime soon. Myron, thank you for joining us this morning. Really appreciate the perspective. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, Myron. That's some great stuff because, like I said, the majority of the country is like us. We're watching it from arm's length. We're seeing it through a screen. There's something about having your boots on the ground and especially having been there, done that, raised as a boy, now as a man. You see things a lot differently when you are there. Well, you have a much you have a different understanding because you you like you said he's been there, done it, can't he? He he understands the landscape, right? I mean, he he gets it. He knows the pulse, and that's important. No but, I think, but I think it's emotional for all of us because while we're at, watching this play out, we're watching the videos, and and it's just one of those things that we're all struggling to process and and try to grapple with and understand why it continues to happen. Like that's the part that doesn't make any sense. I'm having a hard time reconciling that in my mind it just doesn't make sense while this continues to happen and we don't have any solutions we don't have any accountability it's frustrating and and uh you know i don't know where we go from here yeah that's the thing nobody does we'll continue to monitor the situation and as i said the minnesota sports team stepping up last night on the way the browns are stepping up they might be getting Jadavion Clowney in their corner if so with everything they already have Where do they stand? It's a long time since we've asked this about the Browns. (laughs) Where do they stand when it comes to being at the top of the AFC, their role in the AFC hierarchy next? Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Zubin were presented by Progressive Insurance on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. And when you think about Clowney on this defense, what a punch this can be. The impact he can make for that Browns defense, it becomes a nightmare. To put him across from Miles Garrett, this can be a great team. This is Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about Electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus. Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. 
You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Dribble drive. Curry goes in, drives the layup, it's up and good. And there he is, Stephen Curry. Now the all-time leading scorer in Warriors franchise history. He shines brighter than the Big Dipper as he passes Wilt Chamberlain into history. When you're joining Wilt Chamberlain in history, there is something really impressive about that. Impressive yes, is. to the tune of 53 Ooh. last night in a Ooh. win over Denver. But, fellas, the big story might be for the Nuggets, who are obviously chasing their first NBA title uh, in franchise history. Jamal Murray went down in the game with a left knee injury. He'd actually missed the previous four games with a right knee injury. They're going to have an MRI. We'll wait to see what indeed happens. Oh, a little more basketball news for you, Key. Sorry, we had to do this. The Knicks move a game above 500 with Yay. the Lakers. 111 96. <laughs> Lakers committed 25 turnovers. Yeah, we were win. tired from the night before, beating up on, or two nights before, beating up on the Brooklyn Nets. Beat up on them pretty good. Obviously, no LeBron, no AD. They could be back here in 10 to 14 days. According to Woj, one more New York note from the Knicks to the Yankees. Garrett Cole tossing six innings of one-run ball, eight Ks. Yanks 3-1 over the Jays. They're 5-5 five and five this year. They're actually looking up at the suddenly streaking Boston Red Sox. Somebody called yesterday and asked what the biggest surprise in baseball is. I think the answer is the Red Sox, who lost their first three. They've now won six in a row, but Cole and the Yankees are now at five and five. Sports Center is brought to you by Indeed. Indeed has this hiring tool called Instant Match, and it really lives up to its name. Just post a sponsored job, and Indeed instantly searches millions of resumes in their database to immediately deliver the candidates that fit your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash Some would say it's already a great team. More on Clowney here in a second and what it could mean for the Browns. Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can do what's best for you and yourself at Progressive.com. Okay, so here's the deal with the Browns. We talked about this, Chris, in the first hour before you got here. So we know the deal, right? They got the quarterback. They got the quarterback of the defense in Miles Garrett. They have their head coach, Kevin Stefanski. They have a young GM, Andrew Barry, in his 30s. Everything is finally coalescing the way that they've wanted after things being so chaotic for so many years. But in the history of the AFC North, the division they've been in since the division was formed back in 02 with a realignment, Chris, the Browns have never won the division. Steelers have won it nine times. Ravens have won it seven times. Even the lowly Bengals have won it three times. That's 19. None for the Browns. And now suddenly, we're not talking about the Browns being the best team in the AFC North, which they already might be. We're talking about them maybe nipping at the heels and trying to maybe be in that second spot behind 
Kansas City, who I think we all presume is the best team yeah. in the AFC. Where are the Browns right now, divisionally speaking, and within the structure of the AFC, with or without Clowney? This, I mean, he didn't have, I mean, you know, one of the six intriguing teams you talked to, and this is a very intriguing team. Where are they in the hierarchy? Well, I think Cleveland is right there with the Baltimore Ravens as the team that I would favor to win the AFC North. And if you had to put to put – put me feet to the fire, I would probably say that I would expect the Cleveland Browns wow. to get that job done. I mean, you're talking about a double-digit win team from a year ago, mm-hmm. and they won a playoff game, and that game in the divisional round in Kansas City was a really competitive game. Yes, they were double-digit dogs in that game, and it was a lot closer than the Kansas City Chiefs fans would have liked that game to be. So I just I think there's a lot to like in terms of the direction that this team is trending in, the positive signs that we saw from Baker Mayfield, but more so the identity of the overall team. Under Kevin Stefanski, they know who they are. They're going to run the football. They're going to control time of possession. They're going to control and dictate the complexion of the game. And then their defense is going to play bend but don't break. I think the defensive side of the ball is a work in progress, but they're getting better. I like some of the moves that they made this offseason. Hell, they bought over half of the Rams secondary with Troy Troy Hill and uh, John Johnson. So I think that they're trying to address some of the issues they had on the back end. And then with this visit from Jadavion Clowney to try to to try to get him in the fold, to bookend him with Miles Garrett, I think there's a lot of the pieces in place for this to be a, a team that we're talking about in championship contending. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to be the team that's going to dethrone the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I mean, I think the Cleveland Browns, in terms of the landscape of the AFC, they're probably the third team behind Kansas City and Buffalo. But, I mean, again, we're talking about a really good football team with a lot of young talent. I think they've just got to figure out how to win, especially once we get to the postseason. If they did what they did in year one under Kevin Stefanski and that staff and getting to understand the players and what they are and who they are and how they move, mm-hmm. in year two they're going to take a step forward. Uh, you're thinking about, like, like Canty said, bringing over Hill and bringing over Johnson from the Rams to shore up some of the young secondary to kind of help them Understand if you can sign a clowny, it brings more pressure to bear with Miles Garrett on the opposite side. Baker Mayfield's only going to get better, and I think a lot of people are forgetting that OBJ will be back yeah. now. Whether or not they hold on to him, trading whatever the case is, let's assume he's back. Okay. He's with the Cleveland Browns in training camp. That's going to make them even better. And so when you start to look at it, it's like confidence. They understand where they were at. They went into Kansas City and had him on the ropes. Although, you know, you, you look at it and you go, okay, well, the guy did kind of get hurt a little bit there, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. They still was in the game. Mm-hmm. They were in the mix even though Patrick Mahomes was limping. They were still in the mix. And so when you, when you think about Cleveland, they went in and, and punched Pittsburgh around a little bit, so they feel good about that. On the road. On the road. Baltimore, they're not afraid of them anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, okay. We can play with these teams, even though we didn't beat Kansas City. We can play with them, and we know we can play with them. And I think that is a major key for their development to continue to get better. Again, think about it. In year one, a new staff, new system, new everything. They've had to understand, try to get to understand their coaches. The coaches had to get to understand the players, who does what well in certain situations. Beginning of the year, Baker Mayfield was doing certain things well. The second half of the season, he was doing those same things that he did well, great, because they figured out, okay, this is who he is. We're not going to allow him to throw the ball 50 times. We're not going to do it. We're going to run the football, like Canty was saying. 
We're going to play sound defense, ball control. Every now and then I need you to make one or two throws. That's all I need you to do, and we'll be in the game. And that's what they did. When you look at it, especially now, if you're Cleveland, I mean, think about it. They played that playoff game without Stefanski. I mean, think about some of the adversity. I mean, everybody was dealing with COVID, Mm -hmm. but they actually had their first playoff game. Remember, they got into the playoffs in Week 17 by beating Pittsburgh. You see him again. You got to go there. You don't have your head coach. A lot of people. Key is assuming, and and I would I'm with Key, but there are some people with Baker that are like, okay, but he's going to have to make a leap now, right? It's another leap because you're talking about Josh Allen, you're talking about Patrick Mahomes. What's another leap? He went to the second round of playoffs. Okay, so what's another leap? Is another leap going to the Super Bowl? Is another leap going to? Well, the reason I say that is because I don't. Th- I think there were some people that questioned whether he could make this first leap, mm-hmm. the successful leap he'd made that you just referenced. There are people that didn't think he had that in him. Well, here's what I would say about that: those people never warmed up to Baker Mayfield from day one. It was always an issue. They never gave him a real opportunity and a chance. The dude was with Hugh Jackson, them having issues, coaches fighting each other, Todd and Hugh, they don't like each other, we don't want Baker, blah, blah. <laughs> you got that issue. Then you get, uh, what's the guy? That, the, the, Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens. He comes from coaching the running backs to calling plays as an interim to the head coach. Then it's like, well, he never had a real chance. Then he finally gets, in his third year, a real Coach, a real coach in Kevin Stefanski. And Kevin Stefanski takes him and turns him to a second-round uh, playoff quarterback in one year. In one year. So think about what he could do with him in his second year. It'll be very interesting to see. A quick reminder, today in the ESPN Daily, the Sixers look like a playoff contender. They look like an NBA Finals contender which means a lot to the new GM, Daryl Morey, and for the field that he helped create, sports analytics. He was on the front edge. That's the ESPN Daily podcast. Listen on your favorite podcast app. On the way, Mel's latest mock draft is out. He will join us to explain how his second-ranked quarterback, one of the top overall players in the entire field, according to him, will be the fifth quarterback selected his rationale mel is here next after he has this from o'reilly auto parts o'reilly auto parts is here to keep your car on the road with the right parts advice from their professional parts people in their free loaner tool program there's no need to purchase a tool if you're only going to use it once your local o'reilly auto parts store has more than 80 specialty tools available to rent for your next repair, refundable deposit required at the time of rental. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today and ask about their free loaner tool program or visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Tuesday, one of my favorite things. It's a mock draft day. Mel Kuyper tells you who he sees going in rounds one and two. We're breaking it down from every conceivable angle. With me, Greeny, starting 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. 
Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Ah! <laughs> Key, what are you seeing from the Heisman winner there on video real man, quick? look how he worked that dude, man. <laughs> Whoever 32 was from Ohio State, he shouldn't even been on the field. He was running like he had a piano on his back. You could say that for most of the Buckeyes <laughs> in the championship game, actually. Mel Kuyper Jr., ESPN NFL draft analyst, joins us on the Goodyear Hotline, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Mel, it's great to have you here. Since we've had you here, I know your latest mock draft is out, but there were two real big deals that went down, that whole swap between the 49ers and the Dolphins to put San Fran at three, and then the whole situation with the Panthers acquiring Sam mm-hmm. Darnold. With those two now in the fold since the last time we talked and the last time you put out a mock, how does that affect what we're seeing today, your latest mock draft on ESPN+. Plus? Yeah, I think right now Atlanta at four is really the, now the new number one, and that's where you have to try to figure out, is the team going to move up to that spot to get the quarterback, or are they going to move up to get Kyle Pitts? And I went with Kyle Pitts because then Atlanta could drop down to six and still get quarterback Trey Lance. So they would have dropped further than that. They lose that opportunity to get the quarterback. And that's really critical, guys, because next year in the draft, there's nobody like a Trey Lance. There's nobody like a Justin Fields in next year's draft. So I think there's going to be that activity to get those two. That's why I have New England moving up to get Justin and Atlanta moving back from four to six, yet still getting Trey Lance. And obviously Miami moving up to get Pitts. Because if you look at next year, like I say, no quarterbacks compare to Fields and Lance. And the year after that, the number one overall pick is going to be a quarterback, but you got to pick number one to get them. That's the Clemson quarterback right now. So I think you look at the, the feeding frenzy for quarterbacks, now with a new number one at four being Atlanta, now it becomes a Trey Lance-Justin Fields draft. Justin Fields, uh, you got the Patriots trading up to 10 to grab Justin Fields, but you got him at fifth on the quarterback board at the beginning of the season and even in college football playoffs, he was your number two guy. How does he fall to five mil. Key, a lot of people don't agree with me. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the difference. A ratings board isn't a mock draft, as you know. And you, you rank players. You don't worry about mock drafts when you're ranking players. You don't really care where they're going to go. I've had first-rounders that went in the third round. I've had third-rounders, great, great guys graded as third, fourth rounds, go in the late first, early second. So you don't let a mock draft impact your ratings at all. And so Justin Fields has been steady, consistent with him all year. He's my number two highest-rated quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. 
Others disagree strongly with that, and a lot of them have him as the fourth or fifth quarterback. So that's why I went with the consensus key on that in terms of the mock draft. Dropped him down to 10, have New England trading up to get him. But, hey, there's Denver sitting there. You have Washington. You have Chicago. There's going to be a lot of activity. I can't put four teams trading up for one guy. So I picked one that made sense, and that was New England in that case. The Cowboys kind of trade down. They need some corners. There's three corners on the board, but you got them selecting Joe Horn's son, Jay Horn, at the cornerback spot from South Carolina. How close are these corners together? Really close, I think. You look at Patrick Sertan, he's complete. He's not spectacular in any one area. J.C. Horn in coverage, outstanding. And you think about Caleb Farley, former quarterback, wide receiver, turned corner. Had he not had the second back surgery, he probably would have been way up there as a great cover guy, needs to tackle a little bit better. So they're all a little bit different. I think it's trending to Sertan or certainly Horn as the first cornerback off the board with Farley three. And the only reason Farley would be three is because of that durability concern. Mel, I want to revisit the projected trade that you have between the Falcons and the Dolphins. And Mm -hmm. I know you went with Kyle Pitts being the first position player off the board. But I was just thinking with a team like the Dolphins, knowing that they do have a need with their offensive line, why did you decide to go with the tight end over the offensive lineman? You had Austin Jackson last year, and I I think they can get the depth along the offensive line. It's one of the three strongest positions. The strongest positions are wide receiver, cornerback, and offensive tackle. And I think you can find those, even some interior linemen, strong there as well. So I think they can find linemen. You cannot find a Kyle Pitts in this draft. Probably in the next decade, you won't find a Kyle Pitts. And I think when you look at Brian Flores and you think about New England and what they've done, getting two tight ends, what they've had throughout that Brady era with double tight end situations, uh, now you have Miami with Gasicki and certainly having some depth there, but no Kyle Pitts. And Kyle Pitts is much more than a tight end. And I think to go up and get him rather than now, if they sat at six, they could still get a Jamar Chase or a Devontae Smith or a Jalen Waddle. So I, what I really wanted to do was pre- present an option for Atlanta to drop from four to six only, not down further, where they could still get the quarterback. Because if Atlanta drops down too far, they lose not only Trey Lance, but they, they, it's obviously a debate whether even Justin Fields would still be there. So I think it worked out. Trades are supposed to benefit both teams. In this case, Miami gets the best receiving entity in this draft, and certainly Atlanta would still get the quarterback. Mel, we've talked a lot about the New York Jets, obviously, here in the New York area. They moved uh Sam Donald they sit at the second pick we all assume that it's Zach Wilson at the second pick what will the Giants do at 11 guy like Jalen Waddle you have going to the Giants that's the one key that was tough because you say that's kind of a luxury pick. Well, it's really not because he is a great punt returner and he's a great receiver coming in off the anchor. You saw what he did in the championship game. He played limping around and caught three balls. This kid is a highly competitive, phenomenal player. There's comparisons out there to Tyreek Hill. So to me, I think you look at Jalen Waddle. If he's there at 11, I don't know how you pass him up. I know you brought in Kenny Galladay. Now you get another weapon for Daniel Jones in this year where it's his year to become with Josh Allen. Allen was in Buffalo, get him the ultimate weapon that you need or weapons you need and hope that offensive line improves, hope Saquon Barkley's back healthy. The key is going to be ultimately, though, the offensive line there with the Giants. So offensive linemen are tempting. A quitty pay pass rusher out of Michigan is tempting. What if Micah Parsons, linebacker Penn State, doesn't go nine to Denver, is there for the Giants? He's in the discussion, but I just felt Jalen Waddle, you could make an argument, guys, he's a fifth 
best player in this draft, sixth best player. And that's what you kind of want when you're picking 11. You don't want to get the 11th best player. You want to get a guy in your top five, six, seven. Mel, who's the team in the back half of the first round that could be targeting the quarterback position with their first round pick? And give us some of the names of the prospects that will be in that mix. Yeah, that's a great question. I think I, you, know, you think about Davis Mills, the quarterback at Stanford. I know Kellen Mond, Texas A&M, is up there on some teams' boards in the second round. Uh, you think about where Kyle Trask, Florida is, mixed opinion there, something second, something fourth, fifth round. Uh, but I think when you look at Washington and certainly when you think about Chicago, those are two teams that say, what are they going to do? Are they going to be aggressive and try to move up and get Fields or Lance? Because guess what? There's no quarterback worth taking there. Uh, to me, there's no other quarterback in the first round. I had Davis Mills in the middle of the second. So I think you know, some people think Tampa Bay could take a quarterback at the end of the first. But I think that's a stretch for me. I think there's the big five, and then there's a huge drop-off down to whether it's Davis Mills, Stanford, or Kyle Trask, Florida, or Kellen Mond, Texas A&M. Before we let you get out of here, Merrill, who is my highest-rated Trojan? You know, that's a great question. I think Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, uh, as a guard who could maybe be a tackle, he's going to go very high. Amonra St. Brown, the, the, the wide receiver, I think is going to be a good second or third round pick. But I would say Vera Tucker because he can, I can say, be an outstanding you know, Quentin Nelson type guard. And maybe he could still operate as a tackle in a pinch. Mm. One last thing I would tell Mel, and Mel, I know you obviously covered the college game as much as you covered the NFL draft. They're obviously intertwined. I'll leave you with this on the way out the door. It's all about chasing Nick Saban and catching him for a moment. How many times the day after the draft do we ask Mel and Todd and now our new colleague Matt Miller, compare the number of Alabama guys and the number of LSU guys? Just in Mel's latest mock, just a reminder for those chasing Nick Saban, Alabama's got six picks courtesy of Mel in the first round, and LSU has just won. Says a lot. LSU closed the gap big time. <laughs> but closing the gap and staying there are two different things. Mel, we cannot wait for April 29th. Real people in person in Cleveland, the NFL draft. We'll have you back soon. And again, Mel's Mock Draft, ESPN+. Mel, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Great time. Oh, thank you, Mel. Think about it, right? I mean, LSU, I mean, just like, I think they had 14 guys drafted just last year, led by Burrow, right? Yep. Yep. And it just goes to show you, Alabama remains the factory. LSU, I'm not doubting the talent down there. Don't get me wrong, but it does tell you something. Alabama, Ohio State, they, 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 every year, though, they're going to have multiple guys. Yeah. I mean, the program sells itself at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, like if you want, if you want a shot at the league and you're a top high school player, then but you, they you develop go to one them of those too. places. They develop them. They just not getting guys that have like Texas was right pre Sark right that was a big knock on Texas. Yeah, right? but they get, get the they get the four and the five star dudes, but they develop them. Some mm-hmm. schools get four and five star dudes and sit on them, mm-hmm. and they turn out. Think about it. Jalen Phillips from University of Miami mm-hmm. was at UCLA. He's getting ready to go in the he's getting ready to go in about the middle of the first round. Mm-hmm. He transferred to the University of Miami. He was at UCLA. They had him right there and couldn't figure out what to do with him because they didn't know how to develop him. No, I mean, that says something. I mean, Nick Saban said it on the two, on the, uh, the special that he did with Bill Belichick. He said that great players can't overcome bad coaching. No. So there's something to be said for the coaching and the infrastructure that's around these kids and whether or not they realize their full potential. Fair enough. I said this throughout the first three hours, and it elicited quite a reaction. You can weigh in. Call us. Is Edelman a Hall of Famer? 888-ESPN. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.